The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Today, expert knowledge is so highly valued that we learn to lead first as the expert whose mastery of the details helps teams solve problems. Eventually, as your leadership role expands, expert leaders find themselves in a role where others know more. Details are no longer so accessible, and decisions are made without a full understanding. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone with Dr. Wanda Wallace. It's time to find out how to make the transformation smooth and flawless. Now, here is Dr. Wanda Wallace. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace, and today we're going to talk about networking. Now, most of you have heard how important networking is, but many times we see that as a means for getting a new role or for getting a promotion. And it's a sort of thing we do when we know we have to, not necessarily something we do as a daily practice or daily habit, and certainly not for the purposes of doing business. But today we want to challenge the notion of why and more importantly, how you network. I want you to begin to see network and building bridges in a whole new light. So for example, consider networking as a route to innovation, as a way of rethinking your mental model about effective networking and finding new tactics for building bridges. And that's the focus for today. So with me today as a guest is Judith Pearl. Judith is a co-founder of a training consultancy called Management Advantage where they focus on the success that comes through not the hard skills, but the softer interpersonal skills. And chief among those is the professional networking, that ability to build relationships of trust. The book that they've written is called The Network Effect, a practical guide to making and keeping the connections that make your world go round. And you can learn more about them on their website at www.manadvan.com. So, Judith, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you, especially since you're in the States and I'm here in, in not-so-funny London today. <laughs> very good. I love that transatlantic thing. It's a good thing going. All right, so let's talk about networking here. I said at the beginning that networking can be a means of driving innovation. Do you think that's true, and if so, how? I don't only really think it's true. I suppose I know it's true. There's plenty... I know it intuitively, but I also there's plenty of research which shows that people who network act the networks and networking are key to innovation. They're not the whole story, of course, but they are key to new ideas, new approaches, new philosophies. So yes, I have no doubts about the link. No doubt about it at all. all right, so I, you're talk- yeah, go ahead. Well, you're talking about having a network that is broad enough to be able to tap for different ideas and different perspectives? Is that what you mean? Yes, I think it is. I mean, we all, if I sort of take us back to basics, we all know, or most of us, I assume, know, have heard the phrase six degrees of separation. You know, the idea that yep. we're connected by, say, six handshakes. Um, that was researched originally by someone called Stanley Milgram back in, I think, 1967. And yeah. we take that for granted now, but it's just worth remembering that it was quite counterintuitive when he asked people what they thought his results would look like. Um, most people were thinking the link would be 20, 30, 40, even 50 connections, not as few as five or six. So we all know that we're all connected, but I think what we need to do is think about, so what? Um, it's a fact, but it's not necessarily interesting unless we make some use of it. Um, and there is, there is plenty of research which shows that those social connections do lead to innovation. Can I, can I tell you about a couple of those? Please, those yes. Okay, the first one is by a guy called Ronald Burt, who is at the University of Chicago, so he's American, your end of the world. Um, and what he basically does is he goes into organizations like banks and other sort of corporates, um, trading companies, and 
he looks he looks at and measures two things. One, um, the number of good ideas people have, and two, the amount of networking they do, how actively they talk to people, and how actively they build a network, a, 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 a list of you know connections. And I'm sure you could predict what I'm going to say, which is there is a, there is a link between the two. The people who network very actively tend to also be the people who have lots of good ideas. And I mean, let me quote you from, from him. He says, you know, an idea which is mundane, which is boring in one group, can be a valuable insight in another. So very often, if you're talking to someone in a different industry or a different department, and you mention some issue you're having, they may listen and they may say, well, we had a similar sort of problem, and here's what we did. Now, I'm not saying you can just transplant their idea, but that will set your mind thinking, and hey, Presto, you have a good idea about how to deal with your issues or how to innovate in your area. So it's quite clear that good ideas come disproportionately from people who, who network actively. That's really interesting. I know in a corporate setting, Judith, I see the same thing. I watch the senior most leaders wander in their wanderings around the organization, around the world. They'll have Mm -hmm. a variety of conversations with one person or another person or something else, a lot of which is their job to be visible to people. Mm-hmm. But they hear an idea from here and a perspective mm-hmm. from there and a piece of data from somewhere else and then kind of chew on that mm-hmm. and come from that is where the insight comes for them. It absolutely literally just emerges out of this collection of conversations broadly across an organization. And I've seen that work in settings and in corporates. There's a very nice example which actually you can look up on YouTube if you want. If you search on YouTube for Shell, like the company that makes, um, I'm going to say petrol, but you say gasoline, wasn't you, gas, um, yes. and Eureka. Okay. Basically, one of their engineers is having problems with a certain oil field because it, I mean, my technical knowledge of, of, of that industry is limited, so excuse me if I'm not using technical terms, but they had little, lots of little wells, which wasn't very cost-effective. And he didn't know how to, how to deal with this problem. There was plenty of stuff to get out the ground, but it was expensive to get it out, put it that way. And he was back at home in the Netherlands. It's a Dutch company. He was a Dutch engineer. And he was in a... Hamburger joint with his son, teenage son, and the boy was drinking a milkshake. Um, and to get the last bits of the milkshake out, he turned his bendy straw, you know, the straw that's got a sort of bendy bit at the top, he turned mm-hmm. it upside down and sucked up all the juice from around the bottom of the glass. And this engineer sort of looked at this and thought, aha, here is a new idea of how to get oil out the ground went back and developed something called, um, it's called a snake well, but it's a, a bendy, a bendy yeah. way of getting oil out of the ground. And lo and behold, he had a, he had a good idea. Coming from Correct. somewhere that you wouldn't expect. From being Absolutely. open and thinking, thinking laterally. Yeah. But I, I, I mean, think if you Google yeah. that, it's a very nice, it's about five minute, six minute video. It's a very nice example of how ideas can come from all sorts of unexpected places to why you need to talk to people and network actively. Well, I think innovation experts would say that innovations typically come from the application of one idea in one field or area to a completely different field, that that's where most innovations come from. So, Judith, this would imply that you know, not all networks, it's not just size. There's something about the quality of the network that matters. Do you agree with that? I think, I think, yeah, I think there's two, there's, that's everything, there's two, there's two elements. One is quantity and one is quality. I think size is important and we tend to forget um, there is a concept called uh, the strength of weak size, mm-hmm. which is a very nice, it's a phrase developed back in the 70s by somebody called um, Granovecker who's looking at how people, how people um, got jobs. We all know, I mean, you don't need to say that the network is very important in the job search. But what we discovered with 
the people that were particularly important in that job search were actually what he called the weak ties, the people you don't know that well. Basically, the people, how shall I put this, um, who are slightly outside your normal frame of reference. And therefore, they know stuff you don't know. They have ideas you don't have. So I suppose what I'm saying is, of course it's important to have friends. We all know that. But what we tend to do is, oh, I've only met Wanda once. She doesn't really matter to me. And that's the mistake we make in not realizing that actually those acquaintances, the people you don't know that well, can really be important in affecting how your network works, how your life develops, how many good ideas you have, and so forth. So I do think, I do think quantity matters. Um, it's not just a question of having a few good friends. Okay. And I do also think that who they are matters, which is what you were alluding to. Um, there is, trying to think how to, how to best, best phrase this. Um, I suppose, put simply, some of us are better connected than others. And there are, when you, when you start mapping networks, which is possible nowadays with, 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 um, with the digital processes, it is possible to see that some people are really well connected. They are what um, the sociologists uh, call the connectors. I tend to think of them as just the natural shortcuts. We all know people like that, people who seem to know everybody, who you can always go to and say, I need some advice on something, and they'll say, go to so-and-so, or I need an introduction to this company, do you know anyone? And they can always say, well, try so-and-so. And those people, I mean, when you start to map networks, you see that we are not, in fact, all connected by six degrees of separation. What we are are connected to some connected, and they know everybody else. So it's really important to understand that who those people are and to value them for what they are, for what they can do and how they can, how they can bridge the gaps from one industry to another, one idea to another, one, one country to another, whatever it may be. And perhaps it's worth... I mean, when I run workshops on how networks work and networking skills, I don't believe I can... I don't believe I should even try to turn somebody into something they aren't, make them into a connector if that's not their natural way. But I do believe very strongly that we can all um, act a bit more like connectors. We can all pick up a, I was going to say a pen, but now we'll do an email and just say, John, meet Mary. I've just realized that you're both interested in, I don't know, loyalty, loyalty systems in Poland, whatever it may be. Why don't we get together? And then it's up to them. But it's such an easy thing to do, putting other people together. And of course, like so many things in life, you do things that you hope will benefit others. And the nice thing is, of course, that it ultimately benefits you as well. Um, I'm thinking of that phrase, that the rich get richer. And actually, yeah. that's nowhere more true, I think, than in networks. Because the more you are known as somebody to those interesting people and is willing to make the connections, the more people will want to connect to you so the better network you will have. So it's one of these nice virtuous circles. Um, yes, I absolutely think it's a, in terms of innovation or anything else, in fact, it's to do with quantity and quality. Quantity and quality. Many people you know and who they are. All right. So talk to me for just a minute about the quantity. Uh, do you have in mind a rough number of loose ties that a good network, what's the size of a good network, I guess, recognizing some of those are very loose ties? I used to say, my answer used to be, how long is a piece of string? Okay. Um, in other words, I don't know. But I have recently, in the last couple of years, come across research by a gentleman called Robin Dunbar, who has looked at network size in many different organizations and time spans as well. And he's come up with a number of around 150. 50. You may have a database which is, which is a lot bigger, but actually I think his definition is something like somebody if you happen to run into them at a foreign airport, you'd be happy to sit and have a drink with. So it's not necessarily your friends, your close friends yeah. only, but people you know, shall we say, reasonably well. That's the sort of number I would think of. 
It's interesting. Some of us can cope with a lot more and some with a lot less. I'm glad to know that there's some solid research to document this because my estimate has always been somewhere around 200, that there are 200 people that you sort of quasi stay in touch with over a two-year period, you know, a light touch, not a deep touch. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. All right. Really quickly, I want to turn to this whole notion about the expert leadership and the non-expert leadership. So just Mm -hmm. a reminder, by expert leaders, I mean somebody who knows everything that's going on in the area, could do all the jobs that they're responsible for, knows more than the team, or at least knows as much as anybody else around about how to get a thing done. Whereas a non-expert, the team fundamentally knows more than you do. You might be capable of it, of knowing it, but you don't have enough time and capacity to get there. So my suspicion is that expert leaders have one kind of network and non-expert leaders have a different kind of network. I think that non-expert leaders have very broad networks and expert leaders are connected to people who have similar expertise or need that expertise. What's your view on this? I don't know of any research specifically on that, but I think I would tend to agree with you. Um, I, find it, I, I find it hard to imagine there are many people who can do all the jobs, but I suppose what you mean is most of the jobs. Yeah. Um, I think, yes, those people will probably, if you want fish in a relatively small pond, they will stay with people like themselves. Um, I think in the end, in the final analysis, they are probably limiting themselves. What there is research about is how, and maybe this ties into what you're asking, how basically you need, in England the phrase would be horses for courses. You need different sorts of networks for different sorts of outcomes. There is research which shows, for instance, that in terms of sales, you need different networks for different stages of the sales process. And since we're talking specifically about innovation, some other research um, by a lady called Louise Moore, who I think is at Copenhagen Business School, is looking at innovation. And again, innovation has certain stages, and you need different networks for those different stages. For instance, first stage in innovation is finding the ideas, which relates back to what I was talking with Ronald Burt about, the social origins of good ideas. And to get a new idea, you need to have a broad and diverse network so that you can, if you want, import it from somewhere else. Okay. Then you need to evaluate that idea, if it you know, holds water, if it's any good. And finally, you need to implement it. And for the implementation, you need a very different sort of network. You need a, a closed, rather dense network where people all know, e- not all know each other, where many people know each other and trust each other so that they can work together and give advice about whether this is going to work. So I certainly think you need different networks for different different okay. activities, different spheres yeah, okay. of, uh, okay. of business. Fabulous. All right, well, we're going to take a break. Um, so okay. with me today is Judith Pearl. The book that Judith has written is called The Network Effect, A Practical Guide to Making and Keeping the Connections That Can Make Your World Go Round. You can find it on www.thenetworkeffect.co.uk or at Judith's website, www.manadvan.com. So we've been talking about why networks, broad networks, range of networks, different networks for different purposes are so critical for getting business done and focusing largely on innovation, but it applies to many other places. When we come back, I want to talk about some different approaches to networking. How can you begin to think about how to do it in a slightly different way? We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., 
helping organizations get it and keep it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back to the show. With me today is Judith Pearl, and we are talking about networking. And in particular, we're talking about Judith's practical guides to how you make and keep the connections. The book is called The Network Effect. And if you're looking for her on Amazon, the last name is P-E-R-L-E, Judith Pearl. So, Judith, great conversation. We were just talking about the power of a broad distributed network, having Mm -hmm. people in that network who are connectors or being a connector yourself for getting ideas and then the notion that for different stages of anything you need different types of networks so I need a really broad diverse network to get ideas I need a different kind of a network that can help evaluate the feasibility of that idea or the applicability of the idea and then a completely third different kind of network where they all know each other and trust each other in order to make it implementable and make it actionable and I, I think that that's a lovely way of assessing how powerful your network is by just saying, what is it I'm trying to accomplish? What are the stages? And what kinds of people do I need in each stage? And then evaluating who's in the network and who do I need to have in the network. So I want to get down to a little bit more practical, sort of this thinking about how do I do networking in a better, more effective way, not just going out and meeting a bunch of people at some event and collecting a bunch of uh, credit card, business cards, credit cards. That's an interesting idea. You talk about the mental models and you say that we really do need to shift our framework and how we think in a mental model about networking. So what's your framework? Two things I'd say. First of all, I think we need to, as you say, shift the mental model. And then I think we also need to think about what, in a sense, are the rules of the game. Um, If we think about mental models first, People think, well, I often have people say, well, I don't like networking. I don't like working the room. And I think one needs to get away from that model of, you know, walking around, shaking hands, collecting business cards, and walking away again. It's just not, it's not right. It's not comfortable. For most of us, it's not comfortable. And in the end, it's not effective. Because if if networking is about anything, it's about relationships. And as I've already said, they don't have to be all, all the members of your network are not your best friends. But they do have to like you. If they don't like you at all, if they don't feel anything towards you, then what you've got is a database rather than a network. And I think that's a really important distinction because nowadays it's so easy, you can find almost anybody's email address online somehow, or you can work out what the protocol is for the company they belong to, whatever. But that's cold calling, and that is not the right approach, in my, in, well, in my opinion, certainly. Um, it's a lot of what we achieve in networking is to do with serendipity, with chance. Then we have to think about how we go about it. And I have, and this is entirely my, my approach, is that there are, there are two ways you could look at networking. One is what I'm calling hunting, which I think is sort of self-explanatory. You need something. You need an introduction to a particular company. You're looking for a new job, whatever it may be. And you think, well, who might be able to help? And that's fine. That is, thinking about, I mean, I think we were talking about before about building networks. You need to think about what sort of people you need in that network, and you go out looking for it, and you think, I don't know, you need marketeers, so you go to marketing events, and so forth. Um, and that is absolutely fine. Um, I think most of us can be a little bit more lateral in thinking about how we're going to get where we're going to get. In workshops, I do an exercise where we try to connect to somebody 
And it, is, it can take people a long time to think about, oh, I know, he might know, they might, they might. I mean, the, the key thing is to find who might be that first step. And then think about whether they're going to help you or not. But if you haven't thought about who you might approach, you, you don't have... The first thing is who, and then it's how. So, hunting, I think, is perfectly acceptable. It's what most people think of as networking. I would add, or should I, put, say, should I say, there's the other side of the coin, which I'm calling gathering. Um, my, my mother was from Finland. I go to Finland every summer. When you go to the forest in Finland, or in most of Scandinavia, and you, you, you're foraging, you're looking for wild mushrooms, but you come across a patch of wild strawberries, which are delicious, by the way. You don't say, oh, no, no, I only want mushrooms today. Within certain general guidelines, you take what you find. And I think that way of networking, that way of approaching networks, where you go out into the world to talk to people, the networking becomes a habit. Can be, it's, a true, it's pleasant. It's one of the joys of networking is that you meet all sorts of different people. And it takes away a lot of the emotional... Um, I'm making gestures here which you can't see. It's a burden, the emotional burden. Um, that you're always wanting something because you're not. You're simply talking to people. And I think that sort of approach to networking... It's going to sound slightly sexist, but it's what, what guys often say that we women do when we're chatting or gossiping. But I think we're networking. I think that just talking to people can be extraordinarily powerful. You never know who knows whom. My, um, the image I would give is of an iceberg. And let's say one day you and I, we've known each other for years, we're really good friends. So I've got a pretty good idea of who you know, or at least I think I have. But actually, what I know is the top bit of, you know, the top 10% of the iceberg, which is sticking out the water. There's always other people who I don't know you know. And that's one of the mistakes we make, is in thinking that networks are, very, are much narrower and, and are limited to what we know about somebody else. Um, it's one of the joys for me of LinkedIn. You know, if I'm connected to you on LinkedIn, I can look at your network and say, gosh, wonder, I didn't know that your cousin or you happen to know, um, I don't know, the head of careers at, um, at um, Harvard Business School. Would you mind introducing me? Since I do a lot of work at business schools. And then you can say, no, I don't think it's appropriate, or yes, with pleasure. So this gathering can be much wider than we, than, than we realize. And can be very, very, very effective. Um, and it's to do, of course, also with recognizing who are the connectors, who are the, the people that make the networking world happen as well, of course. And that nice virtuous circle where you help somebody and you do something for them, and then eventually it comes around back to you, you know, in, in the long term, but not necessarily immediately. So networking as a, as a habit, anywhere, anytime, at the school gates, at the water cooler, in the old days, I would have said, in the smoking room or outside having a cigarette, um, I think that's no longer quite so appropriate. But that sort of networking is a very different approach to the hunting, if you want. Right. Does that make I know, sense to you? Yeah. I know more people who make connections over standing in line at a cafeteria, the same routine for coffee shops in the morning or outside with getting a fresh air or whatever else habit it is that you indulge in at that moment in time. I hear that all the time as a way to build yeah. a network. It's um I'm gonna ask a question. I think I know your answer, but I wanna ask the question anyway. Hunting and gathering, and particularly when you said that women when we're chatting and gossiping or just asking about people getting to know them, getting comfortable with them, vice versa, is really a gathering philosophy and an approach. And I do see that. And I do see that that's how women build relationships with their clients in particular. They're going to really get to know them. Do you think women do more gathering and less hunting and men the reverse and tendency, not absolute? Or do you think it's pretty broadly distributed between the sexes? I have no evidence of it. But I think women tend to gather, men tend to hunt, and I think we should both be more of the other. 
men should gather more and women should hunt more. The research yeah. often shows that women don't always ask for things. They're, they're, they're always indirect. Sometimes perhaps we need to actually be up front and, and ask. I don't have evidence for this. It's yeah. just that my own feeling. And also when I, when I run workshops and when I start talking about gathering and I say something like, you know, chatting at the school gates, and I see lots of the women smile. And suddenly okay. they feel a bit more validated. Okay. It's, uh, those of us who advise women in particular about how to raise visibility or increase networks, I think this distinction between hunting and gathering could be really, really important. We might easily find that a different model for women would make it simpler, and then we have to worry about how to help them do that. Um, mm-hmm. Let me pick up on another thing you said, which is this. I want to go back to this notion of connectors. Mm-hmm. There is no question that when you have somebody in your network that is well connected to a broad group of people and mm-hmm. you can get close to that person, they mm-hmm. really do help you build your network, open doors, accomplish mm-hmm. a lot of things. And they enjoy mm-hmm. doing it because that's why they're a connector. Mm-hmm. Okay, so there's no question that they're valuable about it for it. But I find when I try to connect people or when people try to connect me with somebody else, so the typical formula is, Wanda, I just met Judith. I think the two of you have a lot in common. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll leave it to the two of you to get together. Mm-hmm. I never find those kind of email connections go very far. So what's your never. thoughts on this one? Never? Never. Ever. Is that because the person doesn't respond or because you find that they're not as interesting as you thought they might be? Um, ne- we just never make a real connection is the truth of the matter. I guess we never oh. gather, maybe is the right word. But, you know, there'll be the nice, pleasant exchange that says, oh, yes, mm-hmm. nice to meet you. Let's do LinkedIn. We do LinkedIn together. And, oh, we should have a coffee. And then nothing, there's never any follow-up. We've made the connection, but that's it. There's no follow-up. I think, I think, and, and two things I would say, I think, listening to what you're saying. One is, I think, I'm a firm believer that you need to meet face-to-face. It makes an enormous difference. There is research as well which, which proves that actually looking... I'm not saying you, know, you can't fall in love over the internet. You can't, you know, get a, a new job by emailing somebody. It, of course it happens. But it is much, much easier to build a relationship than you can actually look someone in the eye. Yeah. So the first thing I would say is it's always worth making the effort to actually meet. Over Skype, because that's the best one can do. It depends, of course, where one physically is. I'm a great believer in actually meeting face-to-face. That's the first thing I'd say. And the second thing I'd say is, I do think one has to accept that my concept of gathering does involve wasting time. You will attract people you really don't like very much, or that you can not in a million years see what the connection might be. And you have, to, you have to accept that, I suppose, is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Um, when I run, when I work with sort of more senior managers, one of the things I try to say to them is, you've got to let your staff seem to waste time. Chatting at the water cooler is not a waste of time. It's building relationships. Going for a coffee with someone or a beer or a glass of wine or whatever often is a waste of time. Or going to a, a networking event or a conference can be a waste of time. But then, once every, every so often, there will be a gem. Okay. You can't predict right. when that's going to be. Um, I know, and I agree with you on that one, Judith. I know that when there are two people that I really do think could benefit from talking to each other and meeting each other, I try mm. to get them together. I'll do a three-way. Mm. Let's all mm. meet for a coffee so I can make the pass off. And that's where, you know, I want that that's to happen. Be it's useful. And it, I think it works better than just the email introduction. All right, mm-hmm. before we take mm-hmm. our next break, I want to talk for just a minute about giving and taking. One of the issues that people find, say to me on networking, is I feel like I'm being Machiavellian. I'm going out to networking to build a network for a purpose for me, as in taking. So what's your view about giving and taking and networking? Well, I suppose what I would say is, what I, is in a sense what I said earlier. You may think you're taking, but you are also giving. It's very nice. If someone gets a new job because of something, an introduction you've made, it makes me feel good. Um, the new idea may benefit them as well as you. Uh, so I think one, one needs to first of all take a, a, broader, a broader view of, of who's benefiting. 
Yeah? I mean, in the yeah. sense that you introduce people and then you become known as somebody who knows interesting people. Well, at some point, you maybe can't draw an exact diagram of how this led to that led to that. Um, but you will, you will see the benefits. And usually, I mean, I think if you actually do get people together and meet with, with them as a threesome, that is a, a big investment and more than most people are willing to make, which I'm impressed by. But, you know, it's, 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 it's nice to see them when, when, when the things you put in motion actually come to fruition. Yeah. So I think it's giving. And in the end, you know, it comes back to you. Not in the immediate short term necessary, but it does come back to you, I think. Okay. Yeah. I find that um, it, uh, human interactions are really very reciprocal in their nature. So if somebody is doing a favor for me, they will come back to me at a later point to ask that favor. And that kind of reciprocity just makes relationships run. That is a nice thing. But you can't yeah. underestimate how much people feel good about being useful. So being able to help someone leaves a lot of people feeling good. And we could all use a little more of that in life on a regular basis. Okay. Exactly. All right. I could tell you, I I think, quite a nice story from my own life about how this works. Do you have a moment? Yeah, sure, go. Okay. Um, When I was at, I I used to work in publishing a long time ago. I then decided I wanted a career change. I went to London Business School. Because I was, um, when I was there, one of my classmates was doing his thesis, and this is going back 15, 20 years. It was a business plan for a sort of handheld tourist guide. The stuff that any smartphone has now. But it would tell you, you know, turn right, turn left, and you'll be in front of Buckingham Palace in London or whatever. And then it would have some history about Buckingham Palace. And he'd got the technical bits all worked out. What he didn't have was the, the content, the tour guide content. He came to me and he said, um, you used to work in publishing. Who do you know a ticket publisher called Dorling Kindersley who publishes very nice, very up-to-date travel guides? And first I said, don't know anyone. Never worked with them. And then I, I thought a bit, and I remembered that I think someone had told me that I called David Holmes, who I used to work with at at one publisher had moved to Dorling Kindersley. Look at our phone, find out. I phoned, and I was right. I, I had heard right. I told him about my friend Steve, and David was very interested, and he told me who Steve should speak to. And then we started chatting, and I told him I was, I'd, you know, I'd left publishing. I was hoping, at that time, one of the things I was toying with was branding and branding consultancy. Um, and he said, that's interesting. Um... How long, when, when did you finish? And I said, I don't know, two or three months. He said, have you got a job yet? I said, no. Come and talk to me, he said. I went to talk to him. And the end result of that one conversation, my friend Steve got to talk to the people about his project. He did his thesis. Sadly, he never got the, um, the tourist guide off the ground, or he'd have been a millionaire by now. But I also got my first job after business school as brand development director of his publisher, Dorian Kindersley. And that was all because I made a phone call for a friend. It was no big deal. A phone call takes, what, five, ten minutes? But I had lost touch with this, with this guy at, at DK. I would never have got that job if I hadn't made that little, little effort. I'm not saying, obviously, every time you make a phone call for a friend or do a small favor, wonderful things happen. Usually it's a more roundabout route but in this particular case, it was very direct. So sometimes it pays off instantly. Sometimes doing the right thing takes longer before you get the payback, shall we say. Okay. I love that story. It is true. You never know how your mm-hmm. network come or what you're doing for someone else, how it comes back to bear for you. I think that's yeah. absolutely true. Okay, we're going to take a break again. With me today is okay. Judith Pearl. We spell that P-E-R-L-E. The book is The Network Effect, a practical guide to making and keeping the connections that make, can make your world go round. So I think the thing that in this segment, the thing that really strikes me is this whole notion of our mental model of networking. 
the hunting. I'm going to go out and find the person I need to help me solve this particular problem or do this or make this connection. And the gathering, which is I'm going to go and meet whomever is there and talk with them and chat with them and get to know. I have no idea how that connection will lead, where it will go, but I'm just gathering. I'll take what's available. Fascinating construct and also would change the practices of how you network depending upon which model you're operating from. So we're going to take a break. When we come back, um, I want to talk specifically now about some more tactics for how we do some of this networking. We'll be right back. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. If you want more information on the coaching and seminars we offer, Go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. If you are interested in finding out more, you can also purchase a copy of the forthcoming book or any of Dr. Wallace's current books by clicking on the links under the resources tab on our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're also sure to find some handy links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's one 866 Four seven two five seven nine zero. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Judith Pearl, and we have been talking about networking. Networking in terms of rethinking your mental model about what it is and how you use it, as well as understanding how powerful the network is to doing things like innovation, a real business outcome not just getting a job or a promotion or raising visibility. So at this last part, I want to talk and get some practical tips. So Judith, you've got this lovely book called The Networking Effect or The Network Effect. What are your best tips for networking? Hmm, a big question. Um, I suppose... Well, several things. One is make time for networking. Realize that it's important to your career, to your social life as well. I mean, how do we make friends and meet people and meet husbands, wives, partners, whatever? Often, it's through someone introducing us. It's through the network. So I think it's really important to understand that this is not something you do when you've got nothing better to do. And that links back to what we were talking about, mental models. Once you see something as important... You make time for it, whether it's every Friday afternoon for an hour or 10 minutes every day. I, that's, that's up to you. But I think making time for networking is really important. So that would be my first tip, realizing how important it is. Um, what else would I say? Um, give as much as you take, or even better, give more than you take. Um, we've all known what I would call a one-sided relationship, which is based on, you know, you give and they take. And it, in the end, it doesn't work. You have to, it has to be a two-way, a two-way street for a relationship to develop. Be patient. Sometimes things happen instantly. Often it takes an awful lot longer. I know with some of my clients, I've talked to them for years. And I've just been on the point of thinking, I can't anymore, I can't phone them again. And suddenly they say, yes, yes, we want to, yes, we've just been meaning to call you. So patience is important. Um, we talked about connectors. I think we can all make a little bit more of an effort to put people in touch with each other. Appreciate what I call the iceberg, the idea that um, you never know who knows who. I, I, could, I could bore for Britain with stories about how amazing things have happened. You know, people are always telling me stories of how things happen through strange coincidences, which in the end turn out not to be quite as strange as they think they are. Um, 
value your acquaintances as well as your friends. Realize that you need a diverse and a broad network. Um, what else would I say? Be interested in people. That's probably the, the most fundamental thing. Build rapport. Build interest in people. Think about what they like to talk about, what, what, makes, what motivates them. But it's still, of course, if you can find something that both of you are interested in. Um, and maybe the last thing I would say is a cliche again, but practice does make perfect. I really, really believe that you know, the more you do it, the easier it becomes. If I'm working with young people who find it very hard to open a conversation with a stranger, I say do it in the supermarket. Doesn't matter if you make a complete idiot of yourself. Don't wait till you're just about to meet the CEO of this company that you really want to impress. Try when it isn't very important, and you'll find you get better at it. I think those are the, the, main, the main tips. I mean, I could go on, but I think that's a, those are probably the main things I would say. Okay, fabulous. Um, I, love, I love that. Do you find that there is a kind of, you know, a minimum amount of time you think people should be spending? Do you think it's an hour a week? Um, however you distribute it, I get. But do you find that there's a time that's a good framework? I think that really is uh, how long is a piece of string question. Okay. I suspect that what happens is as people realize that it works, they are willing to devote more time. And they also do it more comfortably, so it's not necessarily a devoted, specific, you know, moment. It's just you go to an event and you meet some people and you then contact them, and that makes you think of somebody else, so you contact them, and then you maybe leave it quiet for a while. So I, I, I don't think there is, I think it depends very much on who you are, what stage you are in your career. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I often say to people that networking should just be a daily habit. It isn't something that you make additional time for. It's you're talking to somebody when you're walking to a meeting, you're talking to somebody before the meeting starts, you're talking, you're meeting somebody on the train. It's all sorts of locations and it just becomes Mm -hmm. a habit. Okay. Now, one last thing. Yes. You know that Beatles song? I'll get by with a little help from my friends. Uh-huh. That's basically what we've been talking about. You can look at this, it's a bit strange when I say that, but it's true. There is research which shows that lucky people have an active network. You can't do it, whatever it is, you can't live a good life in isolation. And in a sense, that's what we've been talking about, I think, this, this past you know, few minutes. Does that make sense? That makes a lot of sense. I love that. Good. Okay. Fabulous. All right. So with that, let's turn to talk about habits. There are some good habits we should adopt and some bad mm-hmm. habits we should avoid. So tell mm-hmm. us about your favorites in those. Good habits are be interested in people. Take off the blinkers. So you're not constantly evaluating. You're not constantly doing a cost-benefit analysis. Um. Bad habits. Gosh, I could go on forever about those. Okay. All right. Well, I give us those. I think bad habits. People who sell. There's nothing worse than someone putting their business card into you, into your hands, and telling you how wonderful they are. I don't think. Okay. Find out about me, and by the by, I'll find out about you. I think I think pushiness is probably my most least attractive trait, shall we say? Okay. Any other bad habits? Any other bad habits? Um, only asking, not giving. Um, I'm trying to think. I've gone, I've gone okay. slightly. All right. Instead of being positive, I think it's being pushy, being pushy, and okay. discarding people because you can't. They're no use to me. Okay. So All right. So let me go back to one last question then um, in a slightly different vein to say, do you have any suggestions for how to evaluate whether my network is strong enough, broad enough, enough weak ties? Is there any other things I should be looking at to say, is my network what I really need? What's the strength of my network, I guess? Do you have any advice? It is, it is, I mean, people are, there, there, there are researchers who are starting now to, to map networks. Mm-hmm. But it is still very, very hard. I mean, lots of people I've seen 
they give you a sort of, you know, a chart and you're supposed to fill in all the squares. Do I know somebody in marketing? Do I know somebody in... It? I find those sort of... I personally find those sort of exercises slightly empty. Okay. I think the only thing I can say is sit down quietly, think about what you might need, and think about whether you know people who might be able to help. You obviously can't plan. Well, you can also look at your network and see if it's all good. It's all good friends. And they're all a bit like you. Because you do tend to swim in quite a small pool, then you know it's not. It's probably not broad enough. Okay. All right, fair enough. Judith, very good. Thank you very much. Again, it's Judith Pearl. Uh, the book is The Network Effect, a practical guide to making and keeping the connections that can make your world go round. Judith, if I summarize sort of what strikes me out of this conversation, first off, recognize that the network has enormous value in things like innovation because ideas come from other places and other people, not just when you're sitting in your office by yourself. And then the second thing is that it's the importance of the weak ties having a broader network with a lot of loose ties, not just all of your best friends and all just like you, as you said, is really what's going to help. The third thing is this notion that you think about what I'm trying to accomplish and I need a different kind of network for a different stage. So I need people who help with ideas, I need people who evaluate it, and I need people who can help implement. And each of those networks are quite different. And I also say, um, and I love this notion of the hunting and gathering, two different mental models for thinking about how I go about networking. I also say when you're setting a goal that you need to start actively and think who can help. This is a little bit more hunting. Like who can help me stay on track with this goal, give me feedback about this goal, brainstorm ideas, connect me to other people, just broaden out that who's going to make sure I stay on track with it. And yet it's another place of thinking about how you use your network. So thank you for being with us. Great pleasure. Okay. All right. And join in with us next week. We'll have another lively show for you talking about how to get out of the comfort zone. Thank you again for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Take charge this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 